This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, good morning, one and all. Where are we here? Uh, you, you okay? <laughs> <laughs> Charlie was uh, messing around with the microphones there. Well, you know, just a little behind the eight ball. Well, yeah, it's one of those uh, weekends. I don't know. It's too here, beautiful. Uh, oh, and summer, thank goodness, is Welcome finally summer. arrived. Welcome summer. Yes, Gorgeous, indeed. gorgeous weekend blues, guys. And Charlie, I've got good news. Yes. For the, I had a number of phone calls and emails. Uh, from folks who were really concerned about Alvin, the, the chipmunk who uh, got into our place, yeah. and hopefully he wasn't going to be hurt. Well, he was in the house for about three days, and uh, so Shirley was outside on the deck. She had the door open, and inside the house, under her chair, comes <laughs> Alvin. Boom! Out the door and took gone. advantage of the open yes. door. Good. So Alvin escaped and uh, everything is cool. He's back out in the yeah. wild where he belongs. That's exactly. He wasn't paying rent, so get yeah, that's out, Alvin. right. Exactly. You know. Anyway, that's that's a happy little news report. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I got to do is give those phone numbers because we want to get some phone calls in here, right? Sure. All righty. Uh, if you want to reach Charlie, uh, here is the number for Toronto. Anyway, four one six. Three six zero zero seven forty. Anywhere in the province, it is toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. And if you happen to be a first time caller, please let Sebastian and Tim know. Uh, Tim's uh, in another little training mode there. Um, anyway, when you get to the airwaves, you're going to get that. Okay, yeah. And anything else? Oh, yeah. Come on. For our little mantra, call early, call often. One question per call. Okay, Charlie, take it away. Because otherwise, if you call late, sometimes we don't fit everybody in it. That's right. So calling That's early right. is a very good idea. Mm. Yeah. So I just want to say happy spring because it's just oh, happy summer. Spring. Summer, yeah. Yesterday was, I guess, day before yesterday was spring, today, and now we're into summer. And it's gorgeous weather, great time to be out in the garden. It's not too hot. I love this kind of weather. But, and you know what? Crazily enough, lots going on, lots of very fun things. If you're not in your own garden, perhaps you'd like to get into somebody else's garden because today is Toronto's biggest free garden tour. The Long Branch Garden Tour is back. It takes place in the South Etobicoke area of the city. Mm -hmm. The tour is inspired by the neighbors. They all got together, decided they like to showcase their gardens and show the public what they're all up to. uh, The tour for this year consists of close to 40 gardens, all open. Um, this was once Toronto's early cottage community. So, uh, you know, little houses, mm-hmm. lovely old gardens, obviously. Starts at 9 o'clock this morning. Sean James is at 85 31st Street speaking on who knows what. And um, <laughs> the gardens, sorry, open from 10 to 4. So after Sean, you can head off into the gardens. Jeff Mason will also be at 85 31st Street at noon today. And uh, yeah, so that's a lot of fun. So if you're not busy in your own garden, get out and see somebody else's. Tomorrow, the third annual Mississauga Garden Festival is going on. Uh, it's highlighting Riverwood Park, which is a 
at 4150 Riverwood Park Lane in Mississauga. From 10 to 4, the event highlights the amazing Riverwood Park, which is a unique 60-hectare nature park on the banks of the historic Credit River. Speaker is Stephen Biggs talking on edibles in the urban landscape and his daughter Emma, the author, uh, who wrote the book about kids and gardening. She'll be talking Mm -hmm. as well about growing, you know, getting kids in the garden, growing edibles, how to plant and how to grow vegetables. It's all free. Uh, another thing that's happening tomorrow is the Schomburg Horticultural Society Garden Tour. That's from 10 until 4. Eight very diverse and unique properties are on this self-driving, self-guided garden tour. Members of Arts Society King and Wild Birds Unlimited will be showcasing their art and products in each garden. Special garden tour lunches and breakfasts are offered by Pine Farm Orchard in King City and the Grackle Coffee on Main Street in Schaumburg. Tickets are only $15. They're available uh, tomorrow at 325 Main Street in Schaumburg. Uh, so check that out. And then put on your calendars mm-hmm. Tuesday, July 2nd. I'll be at the Richmond Hill uh, Garden and Horticultural Society, 7.30 p.m., at the McConaughey Senior Center, which is 10100 Young Street in Richmond Hill. Uh, the major intersection is just north of Major McKenzie on the west side of Young. My topic is gardening in a changing climate. All righty. Well, we certainly got the climate changing uh, for the better uh, <laughs> for sure. uh, the last couple of days. Yeah. Gorgeous weekend uh, here in Toronto. And, of course, uh, pride <laughs> celebrations going on all through the weekend uh-huh. as well. So couldn't work out better, huh? That's right. We're going to get back to the lines in just a couple of moments here and say hi to Lorraine just around the corner here in Toronto. That's coming up next on The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, let's uh, get to the lines here and there's Lorraine here in Toronto. Good morning, Lorraine. Good morning. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning. Uh, what I'm calling about is I have spider plants, and they have these little brown bumps all over, mm. and I assume that they're um, a bug of some sort. How would I get rid of them? So they're shiny little brown bumps, and if you, with your thumbnail, flip, the, sort of peel that off and uh-huh. turn it over, there is a little bug on, underneath. Yes. So that is an insect called scale, and it builds that little protective house around itself just yep. so people like you can't kill them <laughs> so it's yep. a it's quite a good little hard shell that they put around themselves birds can't take them and insecticides will not touch them oh, so okay. what are you going to do well you can go through and pick them all off one at a time never a bad idea uh you can there's a lot of them <laughs> yeah. yeah um you can it's it is the it isn't impossible to, to do, like I said, to peel them off, to use an insecticide like a pyrethrin, a bug-be-gone kind of insecticide. The problem, though, is that the way a spider plant grows from the center, that yeah. little sort of a rosette that grows, the newest mm-hmm. growth is in the center, the, the little scale can get down into that that location, and it's impossible to get an insecticide to touch the actual insect. Mm-hmm. So oh, it, can, yeah. it can be a bit of a challenge to annihilate all of them. Um, it's going to be one of those ongoing things. If you do decide to use something like a Bug Be Gone, a pyrethrin-based spray, then follow the instructions, use it every seven days. 
thoroughly coating the plant. Um, once the scale is dead, they'll still hold on. You'll think that they're still alive, but they'll, they'll pop off really easily once they're dead. They'll just flick off. Um, But you will have to use it more than once. And of course, keep the spider plant out of direct sunlight during this process. Okay. Yeah, I have popped a couple of them off, but they keep multiplying and I'm not (laughs) sure how to get them. Okay. And I want to thank you for the advice you gave me on my rhubarb last week with the red spots. Uh-huh. Because I was told I had to throw it all out, and now they're all pretty well all gone, and the leaves are nice and green. Yeah, oh, good. good stuff. Yeah, I thought so. It's been a wet spring, so we, I'm mm-hmm. seeing lots of damage on foliage, and people are kind of panicking a bit. And the leaves have black spots. It's like, yeah. don't worry, don't worry. They're <laughs> just leaves. They're just black spots. It's not going to kill the plant. <laughs> well, thanks for mentioning that, Lorraine. Uh, thanks and for calling back. Yeah. For being on the show. Yeah. Oh, well, no, another person with a letter L starting a name, Lynn in Brampton. Good morning, Lynn. Hi, how are you this morning? Great. Excellent. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> the reason I'm calling is I have a very large flowering crab tree, mm-hmm. and uh, it's, it's over 20 years old, mm-hmm. very tall. Um, it blossomed beautifully this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you know, blossoms are there, and then they, they go just as quick as they come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but all of the leaves have turned brown, oh. and they're all falling off. Wow. So and, they grew, and a couple weeks later, turning brown and falling off. Yeah. So what happened? What, what was this tree exposed to that caused such a dramatic... I don't know. I have no idea. It's been there, like I said, 20 years, always in the same spot. Hmm. No construction going on around it. Nothing. Um, hmm. Nothing. Not a thing. I mean, Flooding. normally I have some um, on a yearly basis, yeah. but nothing like this. I mean, the tree is almost bare. Right. Well, was it subjected to um, a lot of water? Like, is it in a low spot in the garden so that it's been sort of under heavy moisture around the roots? No. Um, <coughs> it's built. Uh, it's actually encased in my deck. Oh, yeah. Hmm. So it it's it's been built like in the it's been put in the ground yeah. and then a casing built, around it yeah. and then all the dirt is on top of that. Right. But, Twenty years ago. But I don't think that I don't think there's any water other than the rain that we've had because mm. there, I haven't done a lot of gardening because of the weather. So I have no idea, and I'm sitting there going like. Is this thing finished and I have to get rid of it? Yeah, that's right. Because if, if your deck built around it, is yeah. the deck, um, has the tree grown so that the trunk is touching the deck? No. No? No. So the hole is big enough. Oh, that... yeah. Huh. Well, it what? does happen. A, a healthy tree, a tree that's got quite a lot of vigor in it, can withstand super adverse conditions, lose all its leaves, and grow a whole new set. If it's a healthy tree and it's got that kind of energy in the tree to, you know, put out a whole new set of leaves. So I wouldn't give up yet. Okay. I would try and figure out the what happened to cause this to do the full defoliation, like you're saying. Yeah. Crab apples are very susceptible to fungal diseases. We've had lots of dark days, cool weather, yeah. high moisture levels, very much the conditions for fungal diseases. So likely that's what's happened is that a, you know, a, a disease has gotten onto it. Uh, you know, onto the leaves, mm-hmm. yeah. might not have done anything to the bark of the tree or the limbs of the tree, but the leaves, uh, and and it's early enough in the season that if it's going to survive, it's going to survive by growing another set of leaves. Okay, and should I get something for fungal disease? 
Not really. It's um, once a fungus is on a plant, it's very difficult to eradicate. You can control and you can prevent fungus fungal diseases, but you cannot eradicate them. So that's where that dormant spray. You may have heard me mention dormant spray in the past. Mm-hmm. In the spring, particularly with a crab apple, when it's still dormant, before the flowers come out, before any leaves come out, it's just a, a dormant tree. It might be March, it might be April, April. We get out our dormant spray on when the weather conditions are correct, and we spray this plant to prevent fungal diseases. So it's a great preventative, um, one of the most important sprays you can do of the whole year when it comes to crab apples or any of the fruits or berry tree, berry bushes. Uh, so think of that. If this plant does grow a new set of leaves <coughs> and it looks good for the summer, think about a dormant spray in the fall once the leaves drop to follow the instructions, do the dormant spray this fall and next spring would be my suggestion. To, again, to just try and prevent this happening again. If it, because you cannot get a tree to continue to regrow leaves multi times a year. It just, it just uh, exhausts the plant and it dies. So okay. consider that as a way to prevent the problem in the future. Thanks, Lynn. Okay. Uh, we have to take a, our first break here, and uh, then we've got uh, two first-time callers waiting online. You're yes. going to get some exercise. I know I am. <laughs> reaching for that bell shortly here on The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, you see me reaching for the bell yeah. here, and that's uh, this is for Sally in Innisville. First time caller. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, Frank and Charlie. Good morning. Welcome to the show. I believe I'm holding an email in my hand from you. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it got through. I've been messing up on your email address every time. No, so I got thank it. Thank you for taking this call. I was just. I've, I'm so concerned about my uh, Inabe Shidari Japanese maple, right. which is a weeping form. Mm-hmm. It's been established for a number of years, mm-hmm. and it's always been beautiful. It's located in a protective little corner facing south at our house, um, and I just don't know why it hasn't been generating leaves all around this year. Um, so I just thought I'd ask you. Yeah, and you're not the first person with this question, which is one of the reasons I, I brought your email with me into the show, because I wanted to address this. I've seen it in some clients' gardens. I've certainly had some calls to the show on the same subject. We typically do expect some dieback on Japanese maples every spring. So little bits of tips that would be dry and dead, but, you know, 80, 90% of the plant should be alive and leafing out weeks ago. In your case, and in a number of cases I've seen, uh, the plant is only leafing out on selected branches. And it's lo- meaning that the plant looks to be about, you know, 70% with no leaves and 20 to 30% with. So what do you do? And, and as you pointed out in your email, you, you have done the little scratch test. The, the, uh, branches appear to be alive. The buds are there. They're just not busting out. So, um, as I have referred to this in the past, we call that delayed dormancy. When a plant stays dormant, even though it's should be busting out. It's not. And it is live. It's ready to go. It's just not not going. One of the things I do to try and force that plant to wake up and get growing is get out my pruners and I, I prune back each of the tips where I've... I, Clearly, the, the branch is alive, but the buds have not broken open. So it's a pruning back. It might be taking off a couple inches uh, from the tip of each of the branches, and you're, you're cutting back to a bud, 
preferably an outward facing bud that will grow out. And at that point, just that cutting back forces the plant to wake up. It becomes a bit of a uh, waking it up uh, just with that pruning. And that's what I, and you also address the question of fertilizing and absolutely yes. All plants should be fertilized in the spring, so it makes total sense to provide some fertilizer to any of our plants, all of our plants. Um, keeping in mind, though, <coughs> excuse me, if a plant isn't fully developing and healthy and vigorous, fertilizer will not solve any problems. Fertilizer is food, but the plant has to be accessing that food, absorbing that food in order for it to be really effective. So that's where you got to wake it up and get it going, and I would suggest pruning is the best way to do that. Okay. Well, think, yeah. Yes, I just want to mention the last few days I've noticed some leafing happening from the main trunk, okay. um, along along the tree. Along so, the bottom, uh, main well, trunk. Well, kind of. Yeah, not that low. Okay. Uh, not like coming out from the base, mm-hmm. but just along the trunk where there are other branches. Um, that haven't leafed out, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, well, it shows you that there's life in the root. Um, it, you know, it was an interesting winter. It was long. It was dark. It was, we had some extreme cold. And so many plants hunker down, keep all that reserve, that carbohydrate reserve from last year in the root for the winter. <coughs> so, of course, the challenge is, is when it wakes up is to get that carbohydrate out to the tips. So what you're seeing is growth at near the crown, near the root, when what you're really wanting to do is get, you know, get the, the liquids flowing inside the tree. So that yeah. pruning will help. Thank you so much. Right. Well, thank you, Sally. Thanks, Sally. Let us know how that, that works out. Yep. Keep, keep in touch. Um, oh, I'm just glancing at the lines. We have a number of lines open right now. So if you thought, well, I, you know, I'd love to call, but it's always busy. No. <laughs> We've got several lines open right now in Toronto, 416-360-0740, and then anywhere in the province, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And as I go to the line, uh, let me apologize in advance if I mispronounce a name here. It's, uh, I think, Salsalabo uh, here in Toronto. First-time caller. Did I come close to getting that right? <laughs> Salsalabo, hello. Good morning. Hello. Yes. Hello. Oh, yes, it's salsa. Oh, salsa. Salsa. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. I don't know how they <laughs> they got to what I <laughs> Okay. Oh, okay. uh, that's very nice of you to join us. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. Yes, uh, hi uh, Frank and Charlie. Um yes, I have a, a holly tree. It's about 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh it's only the first 2 years it gave me berries. Oh, I nice. know there are male and female flowers. Mm-hmm. However, now they don't hold. And I had gone to Home Depot uh, two years back and they said bring pine needles and increase, you know, the acidity. But uh, I'm just wondering why it's not, uh, it flowers, but it doesn't have berries. So is it one holly that you got or more than one? I'm not sure that there, there were two together. Right. But... Um, I do see the flower, and it looks to me like a female flower. Right, so you need both. And you're right, you can buy a pot, which has two plants in the pot, a male and a female. Right. And they grow together. And I'm trying to remember what they call that. There's a name for it. Uh, when they, it's called magic something. Anyway. Flowers are very different. Female flowers look like kind of a traditional flower, white, small flower. Male flowers, on the other hand, are very small. 
And it's the pollen from the male flower that, of course, will pollinate the female flower and give you the berries. That's right. It's If it is possible that the male plant has died, it, that the female has survived, and that you're not getting pollen. Okay. There's one more question, Charlie. Um, what happens is sometimes I do see small berries, but they're green, but oh. they don't hold. Oh, that's weird. Because if you get the berries, yes. they should stay on and they should mature. Right. <coughs> Is this it is a, one particular plant. There's another variety which I just planted it, I know, cutting. Yeah. And it it has two, three red berries. So uh, I'm wondering what it is. So, so yeah, all right. So if you're getting berries, then you must have both male and female on the property or close by. Okay. So, because you wouldn't get the berries if you weren't getting the pollination. Okay. So, of course, this other berries on the other side of the house. <laughs> But it travel. Like pollen travels. It's amazing how how much it will travel, uh, okay. whether it's wind or insect borne. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think. Are your hollies getting any uh, direct sunlight? Um, it gets them. Um, it gets. The, it doesn't get the morning sun. It gets a little later because it's on the south. Okay. Uh, southwest side. Oh, okay. So it is getting afternoon sun. Because some sun. hollies are kind of funny mm-hmm. that way. They want a, a fairly bright spot in the garden. They don't want a lot of direct sunlight because okay. uh, they can burn if they get too much sunlight. They uh-huh. also want a really good organic soil. So they want a soil that's full of peat moss, compost. It's like a cool soil because it keeps holds the moisture well without being soggy. But right. just having all that good organic matter around yeah. the roots is something that Holly loves. Um uh, pine needles around a holly is an excellent idea to help lower the pH and yeah. add that organic material. Okay. Fertilizing. And, uh, will it grow if I cut a branch from the other one and, uh, like you know, a cutting? Mm. Uh, will it? Will it? Uh, will it grow? It could. I mean, <clears throat> you'd have to root the cutting. <clears throat> okay. So short little three-inch cuttings, three to four-inch cuttings at this time of year is a good idea, and um, <clears throat> little rooting hormone. And getting some roots and then planting, not a bad idea. You can certainly increase your stock that way. Okay, sounds good. Thank you much, uh, Frank and Charlie. Okay. Thank you. Thank you Thanks for joining for us. your call. All righty. Uh, let's see. Uh, Thornhill. We're heading to Thornhill next, and there is Kathy on the line. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning. How are you? Great. Thank morning. You. Good morning. Um, I'm a little concerned. We have so many hydrangea plants and not one bud this year <clears throat> and they're all facing north i'm just wondering if that's a problem or is there something we should be putting in the <laughs> soil what kind of hydrangeas are they do you know um just the regular round ones that you buy in costco okay. big, you know with the big round flowers right and when you bought them when did you plant them well those are those were planted three years ago and have they bloomed with regularity in the past no, not the last two years. No, I don't see any blooms this year or last year. Hmm. Are you supposed to take off the the long stems in the spring? Yeah, what I do with those, we call those mop head hydrangeas or macrophyllas. They have the round flowers. And you're yeah. right, usually in June, we'll start to see them. Now, it is a bit early. I can't, I'm trying to think of if I've seen any starting. I mean, I've got... I have a hydrangea at my house that's called Incredible, which is a white flowering, very large 
white uh, blooms, and it is in bud now. Oh. But other other hydrangeas, I have quite a few hydrangeas on my property. I can't think of any buds on any of the other ones. So it could just be a case that they haven't showed up yet. It's been a late spring oh. with all the cool okay. weather and rain. Okay. But okay. yes, I cut them right back in the spring. All the, the mop head or the macrophyllas cut them right down to about three to four inches tall mm-hmm. in the spring. Uh, definitely fertilize. Good idea. Okay. All, all shrubs and trees and flowers should be fertilized in the spring. So that if you haven't done that, I would do that. Uh, okay. But don't start cutting them back now because if you start cutting them back now, you could be cutting off the potential flower buds. Okay. So what mm-hmm. is that thing that you're calling? Micro something? Um, well, macrophylla refers to macro for big and phyla for leaf. So it's a big-leaved hydrangea. That's the proper name for it. Um, Because there's many kinds of hydrangeas out there. There's the PG type, which are the the conical flowers, and then there's the macrophyllas, which are the round flowers. And they bloom, as you say, early early summer. And of course, today's only really the first, second day of summer. So don't panic yet. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So those shoots that that were were um so they don't grow on old wood right or on well that's the challenge see back in the old days they only bloomed on old wood so last year's growth improvements have been made in the last 20 years and we now have mop head or macrophylla hydrangeas that bloom on both old and new wood or so they claim however Many of us have been very disappointed with the lack of flowering on some of the hydrangeas that are touted to be very dependable and will flower every single year and be covered with all these flowers. And yet there you are with a mostly green shrub and you're lucky to get one flower on it. So that's that whole group of, of hydrangeas called the Endless Summer um, series and disappointing is the only word to describe them. Yeah, they just yeah. don't do what they were supposed to do. They're, the the claims have not really proven to be true here in Canada. I think in the States they have better success with them. It might just be our winters are more than these hydrangeas can deal with in terms of providing uh, the ability to put out some flowers in the spring. Right. So you don't just don't want to give a lot of garden space to a green plant when you're expecting a lot of color. Okay. So give them a couple, give them a, this year, talk to them, you know, wave your finger in their, their noses and say, listen, hydrangea, shape up or ship out. And, <laughs> you know, threats can work. I've, I've been, I've had some success with Tough love. threats in the yeah. past <laughs> with some of my plants. So try that as well. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, we have to move along here and say hi to a first time caller. Hey, that's Walter in Toronto. Good morning, Walter. Good morning, young man. How are you? Oh, I, I love that young man. Part. Thank you. <laughs> good morning, Walter. <laughs> yeah, good morning. Okay, last week you had something to do with the uh, tomatoes. Yeah. To enhance uh, uh, the ones from person from Tilsonburg or wherever. <laughs> Werner. Yeah. Warner's right. He was he was saying something about adding Epsom salt and uh, skin powder, powder to yeah. your water. Yep. Well, okay. You kind of repeat that for me. I'd appreciate it because I've got a few tomatoes. Uh, by the way, they're ch- cherry tomatoes. Well, oh, that's all. Oh, yeah. It works on all tomatoes. Okay. <laughs> that's right. what it is. Okay. So what Warner does and what works for him is each of his tomato plants gets an empty water bottle designated at the base of the plant with the uh, drinking end buried in the ground, but the bottom cut out of the water bottle. So it's, mm-hmm. it's basically on an angle jammed into the soil at the base of the plant. Okay. So there's that that uh, empty water bottle sticking up out of the ground looking rather silly. And every week, Warner goes along, he's got his skim milk powder 
uh, and into the, the water bottle, he will put two teaspoons of skim milk powder, one teaspoon of Epsom salts, and then he pours water into the water bottle. And of course, that d- dissolves the Epsom salts and the skim milk powder, and it slowly percolates down through the water bottle around the roots of the tomato. And tomatoes. produces huge tomatoes, apparently. And yeah. he claims he's got the best <laughs> tomatoes in the world. Okay, my now my question is this. <laughs> I don't have this water bottle gizmo set up at all, but mm-hmm. would it be all right if I have a gallon of water and put these uh, chemicals into the water and just water it morning and night? Uh, don't water morning and night, though. No. Um, how many tomatoes have you got? How many tomato plants? Uh, three, three big, three... Uh, Three nice plants. They're all growing. Good. Oh, beautiful. But uh, I just want to see if I can help it along a bit. Okay. So take your, your, your big watering can. And uh, what I would do is into the watering can, I would put basically what Warner's doing individually. So put three teaspoons of Epsom salts. And you can pick up Epsom salts at your drugstore. Because that's the stuff after we're in the garden, we soak in the tub with the Epsom salts, too. Very handy stuff. <laughs> and then put six teaspoons of skim milk powder and get a stick and stir it all around so everything's all dissolved in your watering can. And then use that to water your tomatoes, but only do that once a week, not twice a day. Okay. Right. But you still water it daily, don't you? Not usually. Depends. If you if your soil is pure sand, then I could see the need to water often. Um, my soil tends to be quite clay-based and has a lot of organic material in it. And honestly, I've watered my tomatoes once so far this year because with all the moisture, the rain, the water retention of the soil, there's lots of moisture in the soil. There's absolutely no reason to water. Really? So only water when the... The when, old uh, homestead in Saskatchewan and my mother used to water the tomatoes morning and evening. Yeah, eh? <laughs> yeah but well. I wonder... So, but again, it might have been super open, sunny, windy, or particularly well-drained soil to require that much water. Uh, if you've got any kind of shade or, like I said, a clay-based soil, I wouldn't be watering that much. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Hey, Walter, thank you for calling in. Good luck with those yep. tomatoes. We want full report in September. <laughs> okay. Now we have to take another little break here, and we'll come back. Another first-time caller waiting wow. on the line. Great. Bonnie, you hang in there. We're coming at you next on The Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Oh, my mic is on, is it? Okay. Yes, it is. Sorry about that. <laughs> All right. No, no problem. Um, I've got the uh, bell ready to ring here. And that's for Bonnie in Oak Ridges, where I'll bet you it's as gorgeous as it is right here in downtown Toronto. Hi, Bonnie. Hi. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I know absolutely nothing about gardening, and we just moved into a little place, and it has a backyard and a front yard. And when we moved in, the backyard had these beautiful little flowers, like, well, I thought they were weeds, actually, little tiny blue I loved them, and the neighbors said, no, those are called forget-me-nots. Uh-huh. So I wanted to dig them up and put them in the front yard because I really liked how they looked. So I dug them all up, put them in the front, and they all looked dead. They're <laughs> all brown and oh, 
fell over like sticks. And there was also a big, um, what she told me was a bleeding heart. And Mm. I mean, it was huge. It was taking over. So I dug that up and put it. So, and now it looks dead. (laughs) So I don't know what I did or if they can be saved or. Sorry. Sounds like you're emulating me. I don't don't mean to laugh, but what you, what you're experiencing is okay because Here's the way it works. Forget-me-nots are a lovely little blue, lovely little plant with blue flowers, as you point out, early in the spring. They are what we call a biennial. So biennials are plants that take, they grow for two years and flower in the second year, and then they die. So what happened was you dug them all up with these little flowers on them, thinking you'd move them to the front where they were going to continue to flower. And of course, that's not the way it works. That once the flowers are done, which is they flower for 10 days, two weeks at the most, they throw seeds out all over the place and the plants die. So you move them just in time to have them die, which is what they were going to do anyway. So don't worry, you didn't kill them. It was going to happen. In the meantime, though, they have tossed seeds all over the place. So you will have more forget-me-nots come up in your garden. Actually, they'll start coming up this year. Usually, the seeds will drop. Little green plants are going to grow. Don't You're going to think they're weeds, but they're not. They're just these little sort of tufts of green leaves. No flowers, just little green leaves will grow for the summer. You'll ignore them. Don't pull them out. And then <laughs> next spring, they'll wake up in the spring and grow again and flower next spring because that'll be their second year, assuming that the seeds germinate this year. So either way, just let that happen. If you like the forget-me-nots, let them do their thing. Don't move them around. They'll move themselves. Um, the dicentra or bleeding heart is what we call a spring ephemeral. So similar to um, the um, forget-me-nots, they look great in the spring. And then uh, if they're in a sunny location, I find bleeding heart will just turn yellow and collapse as the season progresses. So by the time we're into June and July, you have a big hole in your garden where the bleeding heart used to be. And it's there, it's alive underground, but it's nothing above ground. If it's planted in a shady location, so lots and lots of cool darkness, it will stay a green plant all summer. Of course, again, flowers only in the spring, but then that the green leaves are part of the garden for the summer. So it's more just a question of location, whether you see the bleeding heart or not through the summer. So again, moving it probably wasn't a bad thing. It's probably alive. It's just not going to do anything again until next spring. So your two spring (laughs) things that you love are likely to be there next spring. So don't worry. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And when it, if it would um, die off, like you said, well, it doesn't die, but if it, the leaves go away, can you plant something over top of that? Like for the next part of the season? Sure. Yeah, you could easily plant some annual flowers. Uh, if it is a shady spot, look for some begonias or colia, something like that, and just plant them so that they'll fill that spot for the summer. They will die in the winter because they're annual plants. But again, in the spring, up comes your, your bleeding heart. That's what I would do. Okay. Thanks for your call. Thanks, Bonnie. And uh, we have to take our final break here and uh, then come back and say hi to Kathy, who's uh, waiting patiently there in Markham, here on The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, let's uh, welcome in Kathy from Markham. Good morning, Kathy. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. I love your show. Thank you. I have a problem with the snowball tree. Mm -hmm. Last year, it did the same thing. Mm Mm-hmm. 
They come in little worms underneath the leaves. Yep. And they eat the, the whole the leaves. tree goes there. Yeah, and then the poor tree has to grow a whole other set of leaves. Yes. Yeah, that's a, a very well-known insect. It's called, well, that snowball tree is the common name for what's actually a viburnum, is the proper name of that plant. So that plant gets an insect. It's a pest that's been around for a long, long, long time and can ultimately kill the plant. It's called the viburnum leaf beetle. So it starts as a little larva. It will become an adult beetle. Both of them will chew on the leaves. Uh, you'll first notice it looks like sh- somebody's, you know, blasted a shotgun through the leaves. Oh, lots of little holes. Give these this insect enough time. And there's never just one insect. There's always hundreds. Uh, and it takes, they're very fast eaters. So you have to really go out and visit that plant every single day throughout the month of June. Watch for the first sign of damage because overnight the leaves can disappear and that's what people oh, wow. say they're like yeah. they're like it was green yesterday and today it's defoliated and it's that fast once you see the first little evidence of infestation you need to be ready with an insecticide and now there's you've got two to choose from one is a soap based insecticide the other is pyrethrin based uh all both are available at any of garden center or you know um home depot whatever follow the instructions you need to spray and contact the insects with the insecticide. Obviously, you don't spray when it's raining, and we, you know, not when it's windy. Mm-hmm. So you you, see, you need certain sort of weather conditions. But early in the day, daylight today, perfect. Even yesterday, late evening, there was no wind. Uh, perfectly mild temperatures. Spray on contact; those insects will be killed. But again, you're going to have to visit every single day. You may have to spray again. Spray with soap home, from home. Soap. Nothing happened with the dish soap. No, dish soap no. is is a detergent, okay. and that will give them a nice clean bath, <laughs> but it will not kill them. You need soap. Okay. All right. So you you can buy like safer soap, which is truly soap. You can also look for there are soaps available. I think in some of the mm-hmm. grocery stores now for the the real green crowd that doesn't want to go detergents. So stay away from detergents. You just want soap, and if you do get soap, it's a forty parts water to one part soap mix that you'd be making up and spray to kill. Okay. All right. Thanks, Kathy. Uh, we yeah. have to kind of bolt along here. I think we're probably onto our final caller for the day. That would be Len, who's calling in from Pickering. Good morning, Len. Good morning, Charlie and Frank. I listen to you quite often. I'm quite impressed with your comments. I would like to give the fellow that you suggested putting the skim milk and Epsom salts in the water can a tip. If he does that, it's inclined to draw rodents, skunks, uh, whatever, because they'll be after the milk. Therefore, I suggest he should stick with the little plastic bottle. I cut my plastic bottles down so that they're almost a funnel shape. They don't have to be too long. And I buy my Epsom salts at the... uh, dollar store and I get my skin milk at the bulk barn. <laughs> there you go. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I just heard it and I thought, well, it just he might just draw a lot of little critters that he won't want. Yeah, with, by having that milk 
um, on the surface. Right. Yeah, like raccoons or whatever, skunks, sure. like you said. Yeah, yeah that was um, Walter who called in with that because yeah. he didn't have the water bottles. Yeah. So where do you get your water bottles? At the dollar well, store, too? <laughs> well, I live in an apartment building and there's all kinds of them oh, thrown sure. out. So I there just you go, go down to the recycle room and pick there up a few you, and cut you, them. You are frugal. That's yes. good. <laughs> brilliant. I love it. That's a nice word for cheap. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to go. Thank you very much. Thanks for, for your tip. Thank you, Lynn, for, for giving us a little chuckle there as we uh, head I toward the Walter's end of the show. I hope still listening because those are good tips. Yeah. Well, my golly, a whole bunch of uh, calls this morning. And, you know, part of our job is to uh, kind of research our, our memories uh, and how, what, what was the most important thing about today's show? We're <laughs> going to send that little, uh, information to Justin Ecock, who puts up the podcast, right. you see. Because this show is podcast. Yeah. If you want to listen to it again. That's right. Or tell your friends to listen, just go to AM740 and look so for the garden I, show. I'm saying that the little liner that we'll want, uh, <laughs> Justin to use to describe this show would have to do maybe with the, um, Tomatoes. Uh, tomato plants and, and how to feed them <laughs> via Werner's uh, recipe. Uh, thank you, Werner. <laughs> yeah, Man, yeah. that's just been so much fun. That recipe, it goes, it just keeps on yeah, yeah. Keeps on going. So, hey, you've got a busy day coming up. Huh? I do. But you know what? Let me share a quick email with yeah. you. Um, this is on the question of orchids. And this, this comes up, and I know there's people listening that this is, is going to speak to them. Diane Smith wrote in and said, she's, and she sent me some photographs. She's had these orchids for a couple of years. The orchids have bloomed recently and beautiful. She was very happy, stunning. But now, of course, the blooms are finished and the plant, she's saying, is the flowering stem was kind of growing sideways. The whole plant is kind of awkward looking. Mm -hmm. It's not standing straight up. And there's roots growing out of the pot all over the place. So what does she do? Does she repot it to make it stand up? Does she cut off all these roots? Here's the answers to your questions, Diane. Number one, when an orchid starts to bloom, get yourself a little stake and, and get that stake into the, into the soil. Clip the flower stem to that stake so it will go straight up. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. They will not go straight unless you direct them to go straight. Uh, if you don't have any kind of a little stake, then expect the flowers to kind of flop all over the place and leave those roots alone. The roots have to be out on the surface of the soil and outside the pot as you see them because that's exactly how they grow. That's the way they've evolved over the millennia. They are able to actually take moisture from the air uh, with those roots that are sitting up above the ground. And that's just the way orchids grow there. They are... They're not um, soil-based plants. They actually live up in trees on on top of bark, and and that's that's their way of of coping. So let that plant do its thing. But if you want to direct the flower stem up, use a stake to do so. Okay, all right. I can almost hear the engines starting in the next studio. There, Dave Corner Garage yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. They're the hum. Humming, yeah. They'll be humming right along. <laughs> That's right. And uh, meantime, you well, and I are going to grab a little bite to eat, huh? Uh, a nice little breakfast. Who's? Yeah. I think it's your turn, isn't uh, no, it? No, it is uh, your turn to buy. Yes. Dry toast, I guess. Uh, <laughs> water. Glass of water. Oh, I think I can get some free water for it. <laughs> Thank you, Charlie. Thank you. I really appreciate some of those great calls we had today. Good tips. Good questions. Thank you, Frank. Couldn't do any of this without you, Sebastian, Tim. See you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air. 
and The Garden Show.